Accidents are an unavoidable fact of life. Or are they? In this podcast, we discuss current events through one personal injury lawyer's perspective. In each episode, we'll focus on one event and attempt to answer the oftentimes not-so-simple question, who's to blame? I'm your host, Jonathan Ratchick. This podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Kramer and Levy and Ratchick PLLC and is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you think you might have a lawsuit, you should contact an attorney. October 6, 2018. Axel and Amy Steenberg of Amsterdam, New York, uh, up in the Capital District, had made plans to celebrate Amy's 30th birthday party with some of their closest family members and friends. The plan was to travel by bus from uh, Amsterdam to a brewery located in Cooperstown, New York, uh, to celebrate Amy's birthday. And to do so, they had rented a, uh, a bus to take everyone to take everyone there. En route, uh, the bus they were traveling in broke down, so the bus company, on their behalf, uh, hired a stretch limousine to take them the rest of the way and called up a company by the name of Prestige Limousine Services. The limousine picked up all the passengers and was traveling down Route 30A, um, I think in the southwest, uh, southwest through Schoharie County, until it came to the intersection of Route 30. As it, so at this intersection of Route 30A and Route 30, there's a stop sign. And as the limousine approached this intersection, uh, it did not stop at the stop sign. Uh, instead, what happened is that the uh, limousine blew right through the stop sign, uh, Struck a struck an SUV that was parked in a in the parking lot of an Apple Barrel Country Store located across the street, together with two c- pedestrians, and then uh, careened off the road into a uh, into a shallow ravine. Uh, tragically, uh, all 17 passengers on board the limousine uh, perished in this crash, together with the driver and the two pedestrians who were walking in the parking lot of the Apple Barrel Country Store. It's being reported as the worst transportation-related crash in the last 20 years. The National Highway Transportation Safety Board and the State of New York are still conducting an investigation to uh, determine how exactly or why exactly did this, uh, did, this, did this crash occur. And what's on everyone's mind right now is, is why did it occur? Uh, how did it occur? And for purposes of this podcast, uh, who is to blame? And that's what we're cr- going to try to decipher in this podcast is from a legal perspective, um, who's to blame for this, uh, you know, for this hor- horrific tragedy? There are three potential parties uh, who bear some or potentially bear some responsibility or legal responsibility for the happening of this crash. Uh, the driver, uh, the owner, and potentially the state of New York. And I'd like to discuss uh, their potential liability one at a time. As the driver of the limousine, uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Scott Lissanikia, uh, he had a duty, a uh, legal duty, to, to operate his limousine with reasonable care, uh, taking into account actual and potential dangers, whether it's from the weather, from the roadway itself, uh, traffic conditions, and whatever it might be. Taking that into consideration, you know, the, the driver certainly had a legal duty to maintain a reasonably safe rate of speed and to keep the, the vehicle under reasonable control and to use reasonable care to avoid, to avoid an incident or an accident. Uh, along with the duty, uh, he also had a duty to see what there was to be seen. Uh, in this case, 
the intersection that he was approaching and a stop sign at the intersection where he would have to bring the limousine to a complete stop. And certainly, uh, you know, a jury could find uh, the driver of the limousine negligent for you know, traveling at an excessive rate of speed for not uh, applying the brakes at all before he reached the intersection or perhaps applying them too late and, you know, and not in sufficient time so that he didn't have enough time to bring the limousine to a complete stop. And these are all things that we'll have to wait until the NTSB completes its investigation to determine uh, the, rate, the rate of speed at which the limousine was going, perhaps immediately before it left the road. Uh, maybe there's evidence of skid marks to uh, indicate that the driver applied the brakes and didn't, uh, couldn't bring the vehicle to a stop in time. Certainly, now, a lot has been gotten into that Mr. Lisnickia did not have a proper uh, license to drive a limousine with this number of passengers inside. And although that might have you know, exposed him to uh, you know, penalties or maybe even criminal liability, um, that really does not have anything to do in determining whether or not he was negligent in the manner in which he operated this limousine. In motor vehicle cases, the fact that a driver is not licensed or is not or perhaps driving with an expired or a suspended license, that is never admissible. Um, regardless of whether or not Mr. Lisanikia had a valid driver to op- valid license to operate a limousine, he's going to be held to the same standard of care uh, as a licensed limousine driver. Uh, so and a jury is never going to hear the fact that he did not have a proper license or maybe training to drive this type of vehicle. He still has, still would have had a duty to exercise reasonable care, to you know maintain a safe rate of speed, to apply the brakes when necessary, and to keep the limousine under control. Again, regardless of whether he had a uh, or maintained a, a valid lim- license for a limousine. Now, the fact that the the limousine left the road um, by left the road can be taken into consideration um, you know, by a jury in deciding whether uh, Mr. Lisinecchia used reasonable care uh, when he, while he was driving. And, but significantly, although it permits, would permit a juror to find that the driver was negligent, a jury can't base a finding of negligence against the driver based solely on the fact that the vehicle left the road. There has to be something more there has to be some other evidence of negligence, some other evidence that the driver failed to uh, use reasonable care in driving, uh, in order for the, in order for there to be a finding of negligence. So, the jury would have to, again, find that the driver didn't use reasonable care, such as by speeding, not using the brakes, not using the brakes in a timely manner, not seeing the stop sign as he approached the intersection, there has to be some other finding of negligence in order for the jury to rely upon the limousine leaving the road for that to be taken into consideration in finding uh, in finding negligence. There can't just be, uh, they cannot rely just on the fact that it, you know, that the limousine left the road without anything else. Certainly, the driver has, could have some defenses uh, for leaving the road, uh, if and we'll discuss those further when we discuss the liability of the of the owner, Prestige Limousine. But for example, 
the limousine driver could have suffered a medical emergency. A driver of a motor vehicle involved in a crash uh, after suffering a sudden medical emergency is not going to be charged with negligence provided that the emergency was unforeseen. You know, classic examples of this would be if a driver suffers a, an epileptic seizure or a sudden heart attack. Under those circumstances, if the medical emergency is not foreseeable, the law is not going to impose liability. It's not going to hold you, uh, point the finger at you or hold you blameworthy uh, for that type of emergency. If, on the other hand, the medical emergency is foreseeable, like you're an, ep you're an epileptic and you forgot to take your anticonvulsant medication one day and you have a seizure while driving, well, that's a little bit different. That's a, that's a, a medical condition which is foreseeable and not taking one's medication, which you know contributed uh, to that. You can't basically you can't con contribute or create your own emergency. So if uh, and again there has not been any evidence that the driver uh, in this case suffered a medical emergency, but that could very well be a basis or an explanation as to why a as to why he went through the stop sign and um, and why this crash occurred. Uh, certainly. If there is an autopsy performed on uh, on his body, then we'll know more as to whether or not he was suffering any medical conditions, which uh, perhaps may have contributed to uh, to this tragedy. Again, just for the driver, you know, we'll have to, you know we'll wait until the NTSB investigation uh, is completed and to decide whether or not there's any evidence that the driver of the limousine uh, failed to exercise reasonable care in the in the operation of the limousine, whether he was speeding, whether he just uh, never apply the brakes or apply them too late or and and that really kind of covers the uh, the responsibility or the legal responsibility of the driver. What about with regard to the owner? So the owner of this limousine, again, a company named a Prestige Limousine, under the New York's vehicle and traffic law, uh, the owner of a motor vehicle is what they call vicariously liable for the negligence of the driver. And what that means is that if a driver who is you know, operating a motor vehicle with the owner's permission and consent is negligent and causes injury as a result of, that, of uh, his or her negligence, the owner of the vehicle is, as a matter of law, responsible for that negligence. If the driver of this limousine was negligent for either speeding or failing to keep the limousine under proper control and not either applying the brakes or applying them too late, well, the owner is going to be liable as a matter of law for such negligence. On the other hand, let's, let's assume that, uh, that the limousine uh, went through the intersection because the brakes themselves were not working. So Route 30A, as it proceeds towards this intersection, is, I think it was one of the, maybe it was the Albany Times Union, took a video and they show and they reenacted someone driving down Route 30A, and for the most part, it's a downhill route, um, and, it, and it's pretty. It's downhill for pretty much the entire time, um, almost until it reaches the intersection with Route 30. And what and what if uh, the brakes on this uh, of this limousine were not working properly, or maybe they were working but they couldn't work, you know, with with 17 passengers on on board the limousine. It was enough, you know, if one, if it was just the driver in the limousine, the limousine could 
the brakes could uh, bring the limousine to a safe and complete stop. But with 17 passengers on board, you know, the, they just were not working well enough or in, in maintaining a good enough condition to bring the limousine to a stop. Now, the owner of a motor vehicle has a legal duty to use reasonable care to keep the vehicle in a reasonably safe condition and properly equipped so that it can be controlled and not a source of danger to others. And if a fact finder would find that the limousine's brakes were not in good working order, then the owner would be deemed negligent unless the brake failure was unexpected and the and Prestige had used reasonable care to keep the brakes in good working order. A lot of the outrage that has been um, voiced following this this incident is that the Prestige limousine had been previously cited by the New York State DOT for problems with this limousine's braking system, its chassis, and its suspension system. And certainly that would suggest that the limousine, uh, that Prestige limousine was perhaps negligent in the ownership of this limousine by not maintaining uh, the brakes in a reasonably safe condition as they are, are required to do under the law. But that's only relevant if there is shown to be some causal connection between the brake failure of the limousine and the crash itself. And by that I mean if the limousine went through the stop sign because the driver just wasn't paying attention and didn't see the stop sign or didn't see it until it was too late and couldn't bring the limousine to a stop in time and then the brakes were working perfectly, well, the fact that it, the that Prestige was previously cited for problems with the limousine's braking system really ha- did not contribute at all to the happening of the crash. It's irrelevant, and it had, did not affect the outcome or the happening of the incident in any way whatsoever. Now, we just don't know, again, until the NTSB completes its investigation, whether or not the brakes of this limousine failed, or maybe they were to, maybe they were in, perf- in good working order, and the limousine went through the intersection because, again, the driver just wasn't paying attention. So we just don't, we don't know the answers to those questions yet, but if the, if the limousine had been previously cited for brake failure and the uh, limousine owner never addressed or repaired or corrected that condition, well, that would certainly be a basis upon which to impose liability against, the, against prestige limousi- limousine both on a civil and it would potentially even open them up to punitive damages because certainly permitting a a limousine to be driven when you know that the vehicle has faulty brakes evinces just a complete disregard a complete disregard for public safety again the basis for liability against the against the owner prestige limousine would be twofold uh one it would prestige would be vicariously liable or responsible for any negligence on the part of the limousine driver. And secondly, they would have their own independent basis of liability uh, for p- failing to maintain the braking system of the limousine in proper working order to the extent that the braking or that the failure to maintain the brakes and that brake failure was a competent producing cause of this crash. The last party who could that will be uh, potentially responsible for the uh, happening of the, of this crash 
would be the state of New York. And you're probably wondering, why would the state of New York be involved? Well, the state of New York is going to ultimately or eventually be involved in this case because there's just not going to be enough insurance coverage to go around to fairly and adequately compensate uh, the victims of this of this crash. So in New York, uh, vehicles, there are vehicles in New York or owners of vehicles are required to maintain liability insurance. Uh, and it, it varies from vehicle to vehicle. And it certainly, limousines, although they are required to have a, more insurance than, a, uh, than an operator of a motor vehicle in other parts of the state, the liability insurance limits for a limousine, again, depending on on the capacity of the limousine is anywhere between fifty to two hundred thousand dollars, and when that's apportioned among nineteen or perhaps even twenty, uh, twenty claimants, there's just not going to be enough money to to compensate people uh, for or, and you know families and and loved ones for for their loss, uh, even assuming that the that Prestige Limousine maintained an ex a commercial liability insurance policy, which is oftentimes one million dollars. Uh, that still is not even remotely close to how much uh, to fairly to fairly compensate all uh, all the victims of this crash. So people are going to be looking for a deep pocket, and that deep pocket exists. And the state of New York represents that deep pocket. The route on which this incident occurred was a state highway, and the state of New York. Um, has what they call a non-delegable duty to keep its roadways in a safe condition. And by that, by non-delegable, non-delegable that means that the s- state can't pass on its responsibility to maintain the roadway in a safe condition to a third party. And the, sta- the state breaches its duty to keep its roads reasonably safe uh, when it's made aware of a dangerous highway condition and doesn't take any action to uh, to remedy it or to correct it, and if that if that breach is a cause or a substantial factor in causing a crash, well then the state could potentially be responsible for any resulting injuries. As you approach, so again remember Route 30A as it as it you know proceeds down, um, and as it approaches Route 30, is going downhill the entire time. You know it's a pretty road, but it's it's going downhill, sometimes at, at steep, steeper pitches than others. And as far as I can tell, the only warning that a motorist has when approaching this intersection that there's, uh, that there's a stop at the intersection is there's a sign a certain ways away uh, you know, depicting, a, you know, depicting a stop sign. That appears to be the only warning that a driver has that you're going to have to bring your vehicle to a stop when you get to the intersection. And there's going to be a question as to whether or not that is sufficient, uh, a sufficient warning for motorists uh, who are traveling on this road. Because, you know, again, it's going downhill the entire time. Vehicles, it's probably foreseeable that vehicles are going to be speeding when they're going down this road. And it might not be so easy that if you're going 55 or 60 miles an hour, uh, that when you see a sign for a stop sign for the first time, that you're going to be able to bring your vehicle to a complete to a complete stop, and one of the things that I always think of is, you know, I, I tr- you know, I travel a lot during the summer, um, going back and forth to the Poconos, and on Route Six, there's a, when it goes through uh, Harriman State Park, there's a portion of Route Six that approaches a traffic circle, 
And when you're approaching this circle, I always re- I always remember th- there's a war- there's a certainly a sign uh, as when you're getting closer that there's a traffic circle approaching. There are also flashing yellow lights warning motorists that there's a traffic circle approaching. There are rumble strips on the roadway to alert drivers that they need to s- slow down their vehicle when they're approaching this intersection so that they have. So all of these different things that can be used in order to alert drivers that there's that they have to bring their vehicle to a stop. You know, signs, flashing lights, rumble strips. The only one of the only one of them was being used um, on this route, which is the you know a stop a stop sign. And there's going to be uh, an argument to be made that that just was not sufficient. Now, according to the Schoharie Town Supervisor there had been previously a problem with tractor trailers losing their brakes on this hill on Route 30A and going right through the intersection and ending up in the parking lot of the Apple Barrel Country Store. So if the state of New York is aware of this, if they've been made aware that, hey, there are lots of accidents that are taking place at this intersection because that because trucks are unable to bring their their vehicles or their the rigs to stop in time because you're not giving them adequate warning that they need to do so, well, then the state is potentially responsible for not maintaining this roadway in a safe condition. Now, the state is going to try to hide behind what is called the Qualified Immunity Doctrine. Now, under this doctrine, a state or a municipality um, cannot be held responsible when its planning body has entertained and passed on the very same question of risk as would ordinarily uh, go to the jury. And what that and what that means is that if the if the state of New York studied this particular intersection and studied um, whether or not it was safe because it received, you know, it received complaints that there were rigs or tractor trailers that were going through the intersection and unable to stop in time and if, if it performed a study of this intersection and it concluded that the intersection as it was desi- as it was currently designed was adequate and safe and it was not going to make any changes well then you can't hold the courts are not going to second guess the legislature they're not going to second guess the state and say you know what you're still going to be held responsible for this now the qualified immunity doctrine doesn't apply if you know its study of the of the traffic condition or of this intersection is plainly inadequate or if you know or if somehow the state failed to uh, fulfill its ongoing and continuing duty to review its plan in light of you know, perhaps additional crashes and accidents but if the state if again if the state studied this intersection in order to respond to um, or in, in response to reports of tractor trailers going through the inter- through the intersection and determined that they didn't need rumble strips they didn't need flashing lights that the stop sign by itself was sufficient to warn drivers of the approaching intersection and the stop sign, well, then, you know, the state's going to say we're not responsible, but expect the state to be, uh, expect there to be claims filed against the state because they will, in the end, be the only uh, deep pocket left uh, because there's, it's very unlikely that the limousine company maintained adequate insurance in order to uh, compensate all the victims of this uh, terrible tragedy. Thank you for listening to The Blame Game. 
This episode was brought to you by Kramer, Dunleavy, and Ratchet PLLC. Come check us out at kdrpilawyers.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you, and